The Guardian. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Hello and welcome to the first edition of The Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War and joining me to look ahead to this monstrous seven-week tournament taking place right here in England for the very first time, we've got an Englishman, an Irishman, a Scotsman and a half-South African. The Guardian's Chief Sports Correspondent, Owen Gibson, Ian McCourt from The Guardian's Sports Desk, The Observer's Martin Love, and Andy Zaltzman, Harlequins fan, comedian, and the less famous one from the Bugle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, let's just, uh, before we get going, uh, you went to lots of events at the Olympics. You follow yes. England in, in cricket. Yes. How exciting is it that we've got the World Cup in oh, I'm I'm very excited. I've hit the ticketing system extremely hard to my own financial um, disadvantage. But I've, I've managed to... It's a very odd ticketing system, but I've uh, managed to get tickets to weird games like... Um, uh, Samoa versus Japan in Milton Keynes, a rivalry as old as time itself, <laughs> uh, which uh, I'm taking my kids to. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited, indeed. Uh, Ian, more, more so than a 40, 41 year old should be. Ian, you'll be doing some minute by minutes at the desk. Are you going to be able to watch the action live also? Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to. Though I can't say I'm as excited as Andy. Is. <laughs> I'm just I'm far too nervous about Ireland. Uh, well, I, I'm just investing too much in it. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're fully declaring in your nice green... I know we can't see you in your nice green shirt, but, you know, you're declaring your colours right at the start. So we'll, we'll come on to... We'll give you a chance to calm down and we'll come on to <laughs> your group in a minute. Um, Martin, the Olympic Stadium being used... Oh, that's exciting. That is very exciting, isn't it? It's always funny watching sports in the wrong stadium, isn't it? Um, so it'll probably be slightly odd. I mean, Wembley's being used as well, isn't it? We've got football grounds being repurposed. Um, it's a shame they're not using the crucible, really, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the oval. We could really do some damage to the turf there, couldn't you? Um, it's, I'm incredibly excited. I've got, you know, I've actually doubled up on my charts. I've got cut-out charts to have here at work, and I've got sort of... My wife's going mad because <laughs> we've got blue tech all over the kitchen cabinets with sort of little charts that I can fill in. Um, I'm trying to get my children involved in it, but they're sort of, they obviously think I've gone mad and can't understand why I've actually bought a special felt tip pen just for this purpose. <laughs> Fridge fronts just aren't big enough, they're not are big they? Enough, for are all they, the paperwork know. that you've got to do. Um, and Owen, I mean, you go to Wembley regularly to watch um, the England football team. How do you think Twickenham and rugby is going to compare to all that? Well, I think once it gets going, it's going to be hugely exciting. And, you know, the big big opportunity for rugby is, you know, this is obviously happening in the middle of a football season. But for once, rugby is going to be kind of front and centre, particularly on those big matches at weekends. It'll be on the back pages. It'll be in prime time on ITV. And, you know, this, for the sport, it's a it's a huge moment. But I think, you know, there's more than two million people who will be going to rugby matches over the next six or seven weeks. And, and that's a massive thing for the sport. But also, it's just going to be tremendously exciting as a, a sporting contest. There are genuinely sort of six, seven, eight teams that could win it, which you couldn't say for most of the uh, previous editions. So let's kick things off by running through the teams in, in Group A. So we've got England, Wales, Australia, Fiji and Uruguay. And as groups of death go, it doesn't really get much deadlier than this. Um, the pool stage is supposed to be easy, but this is comfortably the toughest pool we've ever seen at a Rugby World Cup. I mean, Owen, the draw was made in 2012 for these pools based on 2012 seedings, which right. seems particularly ridiculous. It is ludicrous. I mean, I think everybody accepts now that it's ludicrous and, and there has been an ongoing conversation since 2012 about whether they should do the draw a bit later. Patently, they should. But then on the other hand, it has given us this tremendously exciting pool. Um, I'm not sure the RFU would have uh, willingly picked such a difficult pool, but certainly the, uh, the IRB, who oversee the entire tournament and obviously want to make as much commercial capital out of it as as possible weren't too disappointed to see three of the the big guns if you like going up against one another in the pool stages because as you say sometimes they can just be an exercise and everyone feeling their way in and waiting for the for the knockout stage but yeah one of those three is going to be going home well we'll go through those in detail and, and we'll start with England's chances in the pool but before I hear your views gentlemen let's hear from the former England captains and current Heineken ambassadors Will Carling and first Matt Dawson it's probably the toughest group there's ever been in the Rugby World Cup and uh, of course I want uh, and my heart absolutely says that England will get out of the group but it's it's just going to be so so difficult uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if everyone beats one another and it comes down to the odd try here or there as the years have gone by the the team all the teams have got closer together yeah it's where we where we would all always have wanted the tournament to go it's where the 
the players want it to be competitive, the fans, the sponsors, uh, you know, and the, and the unions and World Rugby, they, they want it to be as competitive as possible and the more teams that can win, the better. We definitely have the ability to get out. I think we've got some really talented players. So, no, there's no doubt that England, Wales, Australia can, you know, can all beat each other. And there's no, yeah. So, it's an impossible one to call, but I'm an optimist. It's at Twickenham, so I just believe that, you know, we'll be okay. Whoever deals with the pressure of that group the best, whoever manages to relax, uh, get away from it, switch off, actually, bizarrely, will probably end up playing, playing best. So the fact that the quarterfinals will be without one of England, Wales and Australia, as we've said, is, is frankly crazy. Uh, one thing that will definitely help England is home advantage. They've won their last seven matches at Twickenham and under coach Stuart Lancaster, England have only ever lost to New Zealand and South Africa at home. Owen, must be some comfort then. Absolutely, and I think you know that that Ireland game, the, the last warm-up game, where things did start to click a little bit into place for Stuart Lancaster. It was looking a bit shaky uh, in the in the two that preceded that, but you know you saw the effect the, the Twickenham crowd will have. You know they are going to back. There was a time when he went to Twickenham, and you know it did fulfil some of the old stereotypes. It's fair to say, you know, kind of be more people wandering off to the bar than there would be actually volubly supporting their team. But I think of late they have started to create a real fortress, and I think the the fact that people in this country do just love a major sporting event. We saw it around the Olympics. We saw it around Euro '96, and I think that 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 home backing and how the team respond to that is obviously going to be a huge factor going forward. Andy, it's a young, relatively inexperienced England team an issue there, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. They've been relatively stable for uh, a few years under 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 Lancaster. I was a bit worried, Stuart Lancaster, saying he wanted the team to go out and create memories, but memories come in many different varieties, <laughs> and they could create some bad memories. Um, uh, I, I really hope they... I mean, if I could just pick up on the draw that was made in, I don't know, 1897 or something, it's, I think three major questions arise from why the draw was made almost three years ago. One, why did they do it then? Two, seriously, why did they do it then? And three, come on, is there not a single good reason why they did it then? It makes absolutely no sense. And the big losers in it really are Fiji, who are now ranked ninth in the world and were outside the top 12 at the time and have been given a, frankly, impossible... Task. You compare it with the Football World Cup, which I think the draw was made in December, the year before. And the Football World Cup is bigger than the Rugby World Cup by a significant uh, margin in terms of the crowd, the number of teams and the number of matches. It is lunacy. Brett Gosper, the head of uh, World Rugby, said, uh, we are going to look at that uh, next time to see if it's possible to make the draw closer to the tournament. I can answer that straight away. Yes, it is. It's definitely possible. Uh, and they, they have to do something about it. But in terms of England... I don't know, I was very pessimistic about a month ago. I think that's a healthy state to be in as a sports fan. Uh, pessimism, you know, dulls the pain of eventual failure. Um, but uh, I'm slightly more optimistic, more optimistic, particularly having watched the, uh, the, the animation, the Make Them Giants animation, in which um, England have Rob Shaw Brown and Courtney Laws getting physically bigger as they get more support. I mean, whether that will actually happen... Uh, I don't know, but you know the evidence is clearly there. And there's this, there's this sort of curious psychological tension, isn't there, for England between kind of it's a home World Cup, they're not going to get this chance again, they're not going to have as good a chance perhaps to win a World Cup again because they've got this home backing, and the fact that you know Lancaster is constantly hinting that 2019 is probably their better chance, that those key players will have had more caps by then. But I think you know it's a home World Cup. There shouldn't be any excuses. They've got, you know, they should be there certainly in the, in the semi-finals, if not winning the thing. So they, they want to play attacking um, rugby. Ian, do you think their pace will be troublesome? I don't know about their pace. I, I'm kind of, if I were an England fan, the thing that would worry me the most is this real lack of experience in the squad. There's only one player who has 60 caps or, or more. James Haskell. Other than that, the players in the really key positions. So, for example, you'd expect uh, Ford to play at uh, number 10. He's 22 and he's got 13 caps to his name. To me, that's just in, in such a key position as a person who's going to control the game for your side. But Martin, we've seen in so many sports that the sum of a team can be larger than the whole of its parts. I didn't quite get that sentence right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. You yeah, know exactly. what I mean there. We, we do have some world-class talent in the England Oh, team. definitely. And and one thing we can always say about England is they do have this amazing knack of it all coming right on the night. Um, and I think England, um, amongst 
some of not that many other teams has got an enormous depth of talent. Um, you know, if you look at sort of some of the other contenders, Ireland, um, Wales, a couple of key injuries sees them suddenly looking a little wobbly. Whereas I think England has got some real depth there. Just going back to the question of speed, uh, one thing I would really hope, I'm sure every rugby fan hopes, is that this is going to be an open attacking game with plenty of ball being passed around. And with the two or three, with the, the wings we've got in England, I mean, Johnny May in particular, um, we've got genuine speed, which is something that England hasn't had really for a while, I think. Um, you know, and he does have that nose for a line that sometimes we're missing. So I think, um, I think England could really, um, you know, surprise and delight all of us. Uh, Just going back to the pool A thing, there. One, you know, we're talking about slightly feeling sorry for Fiji. I do think we should raise a flag for for Uruguay. I mean, they're sort of scraped into this tournament, and they've found themselves in the pool of death. I mean, if <laughs> Australia, England, Wales, and Fiji are all biting their nails and feeling anxious for being in pool A, think how you must feel if you're a Uruguayan. I think they've got. Is it two? Professional players. It's going to be a long, um, a long pool I, I think it's fair to say that their victory is in getting there. And they, they pretty think, much know I think, how things are going to go. I think their go, victory yeah. will be if they can score a single try. I mean, I suspect <laughs> that's they're going to have a very low ambition. Oops. And I'm sure all the other teams are having a sweepstake on who can put the most points on Uruguay. I mean, there's going to be people looking for you know triple figure score lines, aren't there? You know, hundred plus. I don't think that's right. I think Uruguay are better than that. I've, you know, they they were much they were brilliant against Russia when they beat them. Um, in Montevideo, they've got some really decent players. Okay, they're missing their um, their key player, the Ortega, because his wife is um, expecting a child. But I think what they showed against Russia that they have a lot, that they have a really big defense that they can that they can really hurt people. I don't think it'll be as easy as other as other sides are making out. They won't they won't win a game and they won't finish in anywhere near the top. But I don't think it'll be that easy for them. Let's move on to Wales. Um, their campaign begins on Sunday against Uruguay in Cardiff and they've just lost Eli Walker to add to Halfpenny, Webb's withdrawals. These injuries are um, a massive setback, aren't they, Andy? Uh, a big setback. I think um, uh, particularly uh, Webb, the scrum half, um, and Halfpenny clearly has been a great great player for them, but um, I think they've got, uh, Williams will be a good, good replacement if his fitness is up to it and... Uh, uh, bigger's goal kicking is pretty solid, but uh, it, it's clearly a massive disruption. That said, you know that is just part of rugby. It is such a kind of horrifically brutal game now. It's there, there's not really any question of being unlucky with injuries unless you have your entire squad injured. It's just a fact of uh, existence. And, and the I fact guess there was all these warm up games as well is an interesting, you know, an interesting debate to play around those. But are they all necessarily required? And do you put your players at perhaps at too much risk ahead of the tournament? Yeah. And, you know, you if you're play, Warren Gatland, yeah. you're probably saying yes. They should just play tag tag rugby in the warm up <laughs> games. So you get through all the patterns, but you just minimise the risk of injury. So, so. To me, that half penny is a bigger miss than than Webb is going to be. I just remember him playing for the Lions and just being absolutely sensational, just kicking from and scoring from every single angle he wanted. He was definitely the best player on that tour, and I think when you take it like you you think about how marginal the the differences can be in a group and the moments that, took, that change things yeah and the oh, moment exactly yeah. in the moments that change things that he could be the player that would turn it around for Wales and it's his absence that makes me think Wales are going to be the team that that lose out in that group it's an extraordinary thing isn't it because of, of all um, games rugby is a team game probably probably more than any other team game so it shouldn't actually make that much difference losing one player especially when there's 15 um, but it does when you have players like Lee Halfpenny who is this, going back to your comments, Sandy, about people being more than the sum of their parts, something like that. He is somebody who seems to add more to a team. I'm sure other players in Wales will think, well, we've got Lee behind us, we're OK. Um, so even though Liam Williams might come in and be just as good, there must just be a slight and, drop in confidence. And that's where tournament rugby is different to, to any other kind of international rugby as well. You do It does require momentum, it does require the team to come together and, and, and you know, sort of coalesce, and that often depends on those key players. I also think it's going to be interesting to see how North gets on after all his recent concussions and everything that's gone on with him he's just he's almost like a a, a physical monstrosity he's just this inc- like a, a winger who's six foot odd and 17 stone and he's an incredible player but after all after all that's gone on recently it's hard it's hard to know how he'll do with the World Cup in in Sam Warburton they've got I mean they have a captain that people are prepared to sort of do or die for aren't they mm-hmm. so and um, and the Warren Gatlin factor 
Yes, yeah. I never know about Ron Gatlin. I always look, I mean, I have no personal, obviously, experience of him and I don't know anything about it, but I always look at, there seems to be different ways of coaching, don't there? The ones who inspire their players and the ones that just simply terrify them are a bit random. And I think Warren (laughs) probably falls into that category. And I sometimes (laughs) think the players must be sitting there going, what on earth can we do to please Warren? You know, he's sort of, he seems fairly charmless and and he sort of, you know, runs the place like sort of, you know, a dictator. And I'm not, well, I'm not sure if he's He's, such a big fan. He's certainly made work as as a sort of neutral watching Wales, that was you know, kind of the second favourite team. It was played such sort of flamboyant, exciting rugby, and I think under Gatlin they've become slightly charmless as a as a rugby force. Probably yeah. more effective, but certainly more less effective fun to think, watch. Yeah. Yeah. I can never forgive him for dropping for dropping O'Driscoll on that final <laughs> that final Lions match. I'll never forgive well, it made, him for it that. It made all the difference that thirty points. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'd have lost with O'Driscoll in the team. Even put him on the bench. <laughs> See, this is what we mean about making memories, isn't it? Some of them clearly very painful uh, from our rugby experiences. Let's move on to um, Australia. Australia beginning against Fiji on Wednesday. Pretty awful last tour in the Northern Hemisphere, beating Wales, obviously, and losing to the rest. Also been lots of changes at the top three coaches in the last two years. We've just been talking about the influence of of coaches. Um, Michael Chaker now at the helm. And it's Australia, though. They have such experience. and, And I should declare I am half Australian although I'm fully English when it comes to the Rugby World Cup. Uh, but they always seem to rise to the challenge yes, of the tournament. and they've just had the massive boost of Tony Abbott being deposed as Prime Minister, which surely must lighten the mood <laughs> in the camp enormously. Um, and uh, I don't know if they've reduced their onion intake as a result. Uh, I, yeah, I think um, Australia always to be feared in World Cups, even in the last, the last World Cup when they really weren't that good. They sort of fluked their way past South Africa in a game that the, the box completely dominated and made it to the semi-finals um, and they've had a very good uh, uh, good championship um, so I think I think they'll be I think they may well end up winning the group the phony war has been going on for it feels like uh, forever doesn't it and the, you know you get these sort of panel events where you get some old players coming along and deciding and it's really surprised me the number of them that have said they fancied Australia to win purely for that factor really purely because they do always seem to pull it out of the bag when it comes to, to major tournaments I think one of the key things as well is that Czech has hired uh, Mario Ledesma the kind of former Argentina I think he was a prop um, to coach the forwards and this, the Australian scrum which has been a problem for years has really really improved and they hammered New Zealand in um, that 27-19 victory um, in I think it was July or, or and then got hammered themselves and, yeah they shortly got hammered afterwards but that scrum has really really improved and that that could be like a real a, a, good, a good point for Australia for and them. Owen Israel Falau some, some player yeah absolutely and I think as well when it comes to Australia a lot will come back to this this question of who wins the group because if you get if you do win the group you have that much easier path to the semi-finals you get to kind of players they do take, get to get have a bit of a, a rest if you like and um, and you don't quite have the punishment that you might otherwise have so it will a lot will hang on on who wins the group out of maybe England uh, Australia and Wales yeah it's always d- difficult to get ahead of yourself isn't it but it's looking like the second type placed team in this group would likely play South Africa um, in the quarterfinals, you may well pull a face at me. There. It could be Scotland. <laughs> yeah, Scotland pulling a face at me. South Africa, so yeah. we'll be all right. Uh, we shouldn't. We have mentioned, of course, um, Uruguay as well, and and Fiji. The, all of these Pacific teams always seem to play with such joy and bring such spirit yeah. to the world. There Cup, was um, one of the. Um, um, commentators in the paper was talking about the Fijian forwards as playing with maybe it was you Owen with giddy delight which I thought was sort of great and um, yeah they and this is what we hope for I mean one thing we really hope for Friday and, and this week weather-wise is not looking too good is a, a sort of torrential downpour would just spoil the game we want a nice dry night and um, not just because it would be pleasant for the people who've managed to score their decent tickets but but also because it, the Fijians just play with such exuberance don't they you know the, what we want is you know 15 man rugby Balls being flung about, um, and that's what we all—that's what we all hope from the, the the South Sea Islanders. You know, there was a fact going around last week. I've probably got it wrong, but something like I think it was thirty percent of players in the top twelve teams—is it—have South Sea Island blood in them. So they, whatever it is, it's in the genes and the DNA, uh, and um, and everybody enjoys watching them play. And I think that of all the teams, you know, everybody has their sort of sort of gritty team that they really hope doesn't win. Um, <laughs> but we all sort of have a sort of grudging respect for sort of Tonga, Fiji, and Samoa, don't we? 
me. And it's one of those things as well, as we said at the top, you know, the kind of, if, if rugby is to reach out beyond its normal audience and, and uh, you know, attract new people in, perhaps some of those who would ordinarily be sitting watching football, then we, we do want to see free-flowing rugby, we want to see entertaining games and not sort of wars of attrition. So, you know, I think we can all keep our fingers crossed. We're, we're talking about it like it's something just to enjoy and celebrate. It is a really important match mm. for who wins this one. It's a really, it could be key to the, to the way the group pans out, couldn't it? Absolutely right. And of course, if England get off to a losing start, that's not <laughs> going to be the best tone on which to, to get your uh, home rugby World Cup off on. And, you, and it will be, it won't be an easy game for them at all. Andy, your thoughts on Fiji? Well, I saw their last warm-up game with Canada um, at the Stoop. Something to do on an afternoon. And uh, for half an hour, they were fantastic. Then uh, uh, Matawali, the scrum half, went off injured and they slightly lost their focus a bit. But they, looked, they were really exciting and uh, he looked a phenomenal player. And um, I think he's joining Bath for, the, for this season. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, uh, they're ninth in the world and they're up against three teams in the top five, um, which yeah, clearly is unlucky at best. Uh, and I'm not sure that they're going to win any games. You'd hope that they they can show r- rugby what they can do. As you, said, you know, a lot of World Cups have been slightly disappointing in terms of the quality and nature of rugby. I'm quite optimistic about this one. Uh, that said, uh, you look at the amount of money that is going to be spent on watching scrums collapse. Uh, in the, the big games in the knockout stage, assuming the average ticket price looks about, around £300, um, there's 80-odd thousand people there. If each, each scrum is basically costing about £250,000 of spectator money. <laughs> wow. So keep them up. And drive when they call straight. for a reset, that's another £250,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, no, I've just... Yeah. What about I could have, could Maybe have that's what they should do with props. Place. They should sort of say to him, if you don't go down on your knees, you'll get five grand in your boots <laughs> at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, it might keep them up a bit longer. <laughs> Completely reinventing the game as we go along. And why not? Uh, so that's Pool A chat. We'll be back to look at the other pools after this. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby. Pool B, then. We're looking at South Africa, Scotland, Samoa, Japan, USA. Let's start with the big boys. South Africa, they have a great World Cup record, winning two of the five tournaments they've been part of. Let's hear now from former South African captain John Smith on their chances for 2015. Look, I think we do have a team that can go all the way. There's a couple of teams that can do the same thing. So we've seen over the last 24 to 36 months that uh, the top sort of six teams have the ability to beat everybody on the day. So it'll be probably the most exciting, probably the World Cup with the most sort of, I guess, surprises. But we do have a team that can win. We've had a difficult few months, but uh, we still have the ability to win under pressure. In your group, who are you most worried about? Samoa will be always be difficult. It's always, it, was, it was our toughest game against uh, in our last in, in 2007's World Cup. Unbelievably physical. The players playing in Super Rugby, you know, top 14 Premiership. Um, so there'll be a far bigger challenge this year than they've ever been. And the gap's closing, isn't it, in World Rugby? I mean, as you say, the very top teams, which of course you're amongst them, are always up there for everyone else to shoot at. Yeah, I think we've seen it this year. Is certainly because of there's so many more teams that are competing that there's just not as many just sort of shoe-in games. So, and I think that's good for world rugby. Because rugby means such a lot in South Africa, doesn't it? You play with, with heritage and passion. To be fair, I think in a nutshell, I would say the Springboks are the custodians of hope, really, in terms of giving some some of the South well, most of South Africans, you know, the, the will to continue. And uh, and there's a lot of pressure and responsibility uh, thrust upon the Springboks team. John Smith, Heineken ambassador. And I think I speak for everyone when I say, Mr. Ambassador, you really are spoiling us. <laughs> Now, I knew I'd regret saying that, but there you go, we'll carry on. Uh, South Africa have an array of rugby talent. Uh, Sean de Villiers and Brian Habana, very much um, world class. Andy, you are ha- half South African. Well, look, my father was born in South Africa and moved to Britain in the 1960s. I consider myself about 0.3% South African at most. That's enough for us, though, right, for, okay. for, yes. for, for the moment. This should be pretty straightforward. You'd think so, although they've been pretty ropey so far uh, over the summer. Um... I mean, they're definitely potential winners of the of the tournament just from the the, the power and the strength that they have. Uh, they may be a little indecision at fly half between uh, Pollard and, and and Lambie. They seem to have some exciting new centres. Uh, they're always going to be dangerous, and they've you know got a, a group that they should win pretty easily, uh, so they can ease their way into the tournament. And it's another thing with the pool A. Basically, those teams are going to have to peak for the entire tournament rather than being able to time around. And in a in a game as 
physically taxing as rugby. I don't know if that's that's going to be proved possible. But that's true. But again, in other previous World Cups, we've seen examples where where countries had a cakewalk in the in the uh, pool stages, and then they've you know been knocked out yes. the quarters. I guess it's that, that balance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think that's the thing we'll we'll probably return to when we talk about the New Zealand's path as well. But I mean, you're talking about Pollard and this transition from from under twenties to to seniors, it can be tricky making that move, can't it? Clearly, yes. It's uh, I mean, it's a and it's interesting the, number, yeah, the how quickly he came into the team and did uh, uh, did very. We've seen a few of the uh, the England guys. Um, uh, Jack Knoll came in pretty rapidly, and Anthony Watson from I think played in the same tournament as Pollard. So uh, uh, it's but yeah, as um, as you're talking about with Ford, that is it's a massive responsibility for a, a young fly half to guide a team through a World Cup. Uh, just speaking of inexperience, but they've also got Jesse Creel coming into this side as well, who looks like a really exciting player. He scored a sensational try in his debut against Australia. He's got you know really quick, really good with the ball in hand, and I think he can play right across the back. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on for them. I think he'll be one of the players to watch. And you talk to South Africans, and, and they're always very conscious of, of the heritage and what the sport means. Does that weigh on their shoulders at all? Do you think when it comes into the into the competition, I mean. Well, there's, I mean, kind of, yeah, to, to the, the mythology around being a Springbok is, is, is almost, but not quite up there with the mythology about being an All Black, isn't it? And um, I think the, the interesting thing and the slightly unfortunate thing in the build up to this tournament has, you know, there's been discussion of a, you know, the, the racial makeup of the squad again, and that has slightly destabilised or taken the the gloss off, if you like, what should be, a, you know, a, a hugely exciting build up to a to a World Cup. But yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly there is a lot of mythology that that goes with it. I think they generally use that to to uh, to fuel them rather than acting as pressure. Do you think that would have an effect on the team? I, I just feel like they're so professional and they're so ensconced in their own sort of World Cup bubble that they might. Okay, they'll they'll know this is going on outside of them, but I feel like maybe that. Well, it is a, a bit of a distraction. I feel like they'll be professional. It's always to hard to know in these scenarios, though, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, kind of on the one hand, you would say yes, you know, kind of the sport is now so professional that you know that that all these teams are in Scotland, they training camps, and and can the outside world impinge? And yet, on the other hand, everybody talks about marginal gains and any small thing that could throw you That's off. True, and yeah. It's hard to know what the what the knock on effect will will yeah. be. So I think probably it can't not have an effect of some kind. The question will be how well they they maintain that and how well kind of you know the, within the camp they manage the the atmosphere. Martin, I was just going to say I think. Probably a bigger issue for them is the uh, suits that they've all chosen to wear for their <laughs> tour. And um, I don't know if anybody uh, listening was a fan of Glee, but when the, they used to have these sort of singathons, they used to go and compete against the Dalston warblers. Um, and the South Africans look like they're all auditioning for this. They're all wearing these tight little jackets with sort of gold piping and these funny little sort of Molesworth caps. And they all look a bit like sort of children whose, whose mums have decided to save on a school blazer by, or oh, that'll do for the sixth form. These giant men wearing these tiny sort of Anton deck suits and I think if anything's going to put you off your game it's going to be that <laughs> <laughs> OK let's move on to Scotland they kick off against Japan on Wednesday didn't get out of the pool in 2011 but have a pretty good World Cup pedigree other than that reaching the quarters in all previous tournaments bar 1991 when they came forth Martin you're our token Scotsman I, I am the total Scotsman and, and actually of all the games a bit like um, uh, De- uh, Andy I was, I've applied for lots of tickets and the only one I got was um, Scotland v Japan at Kingsholm and um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's next Wednesday afternoon, 2.30 kickoff. It's a nice small ground just up the road from where my parents live. Um, so we're going to make a family event of it. Uh, every, uh, uh, any, every rugby fan deserves to support or should support Japan because, of course, they are the brave blossoms, which must be the, the most terrifying name for any rugby team <laughs> ever created. <laughs> um, and the, uh, I, have a, I have another hat, uh, which is that I uh, write about motorcars for The Observer. And I know that the sort of chairman of Mitsubishi is an absolute fanatic rugby fan and there is this sort of unusual aspect to the Japanese team that it's not they're not just some sort of add-on um, they are genuinely supported in Japan I mean it's a sort of it's a huge sport um, and so they will really have massive home backing and there will be an awful lot of interest in them and it's um, the biggest it's the biggest traveling fan base isn't it or something there's an awful yeah. lot of Japanese fans coming yeah. over to watch and and also of course they're hosting it next time around so it's huge from the yeah, point yeah. of view so yeah, I think it'll be a really that. exciting game you know and I think it'll be you know it could be an open fight I think there'll be a lot of tries you know it's a sort of you know Scotland are experimenting with actually passing the ball something <laughs> that they don't do very often uh, Japan something loves to pass the ball no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> Hopefully that'll work you, well. You brought up the uh, motoring correspondent hat, as it were. If Scotland were a car, this is a horrible question, isn't it? <laughs> what, what would they be? Oh, uh, Scotland. Well, they would be. Um, they would be sort of uh, powerful. 
you know, uh, good looking. <laughs> Fast, I'd say probably a Porsche or something. Although something that tends to break down just before you get to your destination. So. <laughs> Not that we're implying Porsches no, in no, no. <laughs> um, Andy, the crunch match looks to be against Samoa, which they'll be playing just over the border in Newcastle. Do you think this should help them? I don't know by that stage of teams that that'll be their their fourth match uh, for each team, so they'll I guess be into the tournament by then. The Samoans are. I guess, used to playing uh, away from their home support, given that that's basically where they play almost all of their matches. Uh, Generally, we've seen the Pacific teams, the World Cups is when they get a proper run together as a side and... um, and generally do do best. Uh, I think that's going to be a really tough game for for Scotland. I think that most rugby fans will support the Pacific teams as as uh, yeah as we were saying, but as their second team, given that the lack of support they've had and the amount they've contributed to uh, to the world game over over recent decades. I th- uh, it's going to be it's going to be. T- but I think you know USA and Japan are probably good enough to. Uh, cause a few rogue results throughout the group, so it, it could be very close. I mean, that's an interesting grouping that you have got. Yeah. There, there probably is less between the, the sides than there are in other groups. And but that, talking of you know support, of course, the game being in Newcastle, there'll be an awful lot of Scots there having uh, hopped over Hadrian's Wall, I imagine, to uh, to watch that one. So it'll be almost like a home game for Scotland. I think I'd be very worried if I were a Scotland fan. I think Samoa are going to do them on that one. I think they've they could they've got the power to match them up front, and they've got. Um, Ken Pesey, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, who plays for Northampton, who's extremely quick, extremely good with the ball. And I just think they'll have too much for Scotland. Although in the last three World Cups, Samoa failed to get out of the pool stage, which sort of surprised me as a, as a stat. Yeah, but they've, they've got their administration sorted now, haven't they? Yeah. And so the players are a lot happier. They're a lot more content. I know they, I was following their Twitter feed and they post these videos of them all cooking together and working together. And it all looks like, a, OK, that's obviously a bit of propaganda, but they, they look like a real happy bunch yeah. more so than uh, what happened in 2011 which was a bit of a farce yeah. so I think that you know again marginal gains I think that will contribute to them to getting out of the group stages which is why this is also exciting because these games some of these games are going to be so uh, hard to call we've got Japan 15th in the world well that's at least that's better than the USA Andy uh, yes uh, I can't claim to be a massive expert on uh, American uh, American rugby uh, it seems that most of their players are playing in the NFL um, uh, but yeah it's uh, uh, I think that they look most likely to finish finish last, but I think I think it's really close. I think you know they they could be you know teams beating each other, and it might even come down to points difference at the end. But I think that going back to Scotland Samoa, the fact that it's the last game may give Samoa an advantage that they've that have had that. Time and again, the the IRB, the IRB are massively keen to promote rugby in the US for for obvious yes. reasons. Of course, it's still a massively minority sport there, but they they're keen to push it. Obviously, New Zealand went over there last. Summer and um, Harlequins were there a couple of weeks ago as well. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and they also uh, USA did beat Japan quite recently um, in the Pacific Nations Cup. And we so. do, we do have in this group the best beard in the tournament. Everyone looks at me like I'm bonkers. <laughs> Josh Strauss must be sporting the best beard of the tournament. No, you're shaking your head. No, no, no. I've I've picked out the best beard of the tournament. Are we going to talk about this now? Well, you, yeah, it's right in now. <laughs> yeah. We've arrived at the whisker moment. Yes. Um, my notes are all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> That's a lot of notes just about <laughs> it's, it's a extensive research. It's a prop to make me think I'm I know more than I actually do. Uh, while 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 you're looking, I've put in a vote for uh, for the Italian prop Martin Castiovanni, who I think has both the best hairstyle and the best beard. So it's, it's a double winner. <laughs> it's double goal. I mean, I'm, I'm with Josh Strauss, and the only bit of Josh Strauss is that he um, he was the one who persuaded Jeff Cross to grow his. Massive beard, uh, which he then shaved off and was then left out of the squad. So, so this uh, might, this might now, strike uh, as a naive question, but does that not give other players something to grab onto? Is that not dangerous having so much hair around? I've, I've never seen a beard grabbed. <laughs> no, that's, no, I'm not but sure what the rules say about generally beard. Generally, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But by the way, my nomination is uh, Canada's Hubert Boydens who has this this sort of graceful orange around his mouth that fades into this lovely chestnut brown. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's massive and wild, and it looks like you could hide a brown bear in it without much problem. That's poetic. Oh, yeah, you describe that beard. It sounds like a front runner. Like <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we'll be back shortly to talk about Pool C. This podcast is sponsored by Heineken, proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby. 
listening to the Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War, and here with me in the studio is Owen Gibson, Ian McCourt, Martin Love and Andy Zaltzman. Let's look at Pool C now. We've got the holders, New Zealand, plus Argentina, Tonga, Namibia and Georgia. So New Zealand um, don't need any help, really, but this looks easy for them, Andy. Yes, um, I managed also to get tickets to New Zealand v Namibia. How did you manage this? Uh, well, they keep, you need put to give it, us they keep putting after. new tickets up almost every day. It's a baff- I don't know how they've done it. It's the because league. they've got this system whereby if you can't use them anymore, you can put them yeah. back on sale. So if you so if you sit there all day watching the website, <laughs> you might come across some tickets for a game you actually want to go. It's one of the many benefits of being yeah. being self-employed and working <laughs> yeah. at home. So, um, <laughs> not that I've suggested that you feed. Uh, it's, I think the odds are against Namibia for that one. I mean, <laughs> if if Namibia call. win that game, there will be some some phone records being investigated. Um, if, uh, um, if if it's anything like cricket, so um, in two thousand and seven, New Zealand had uh, the problem that they weren't given a game in the group stage. Uh, the the one game that might have been slightly difficult for them against Scotland. Scotland put out their reserves and it was an uh, absolute walkover. Um, here they're playing Argentina first, which is the toughest game in that group, so they'll have had you know pretty much a month before the quarterfinal. But that said, you'd think they would be better prepared after what happened last time. And also in 2007, they were very unlucky, although they did perhaps slightly choke against France. They had both Carter and Nick Evans go off injured in that quarterfinal. And a you know a, a possible marginal forward pass by questionable call is fair. So uh, who knows if they've got through that game? Who knows what will happen? But uh, I, yeah, clearly they they should walk this group. Yeah, I mean I don't need to big them up really, but two matches they've only lost two matches in three seasons. One the last World Cup, plus the expanded Tri Nations now the uh, Rugby Championship. They are on a roll. It's hard to see anyone stopping them. Owen, do you think? Well, I mean for me they probably are my tip to win it but I think it's not going to be a stroll by any means um, and there are things you can see that could go wrong for them um, I think that the advantage they've got this time is A there seems to be no psychological frailty which has sometimes got to them in the past bizarrely because they've been sort of such strong favourites they've found that hard to cope with I think that's largely gone under the current regime and also they have got that depth you can see that if you know almost every eventuality has been planned for so I mean yeah for me it's hard to, to look beyond them but it will be uh, it's not straightforward by any means as I said at the beginning there's genuinely sort of six or seven teams that could win this Ian you want to come in yeah I think just just I think I agree with them I think New Zealand are the favourites for it and if they have any sort of inverted comma weakness it might be that scrum that Australia um, in you talk about one of the losses that was against the, uh, Australia Th- that was where Australia really punished them in that and that could be the only place where they'll where they could lose out because their backs are just off the charts. No Martin, do you see any uh, well, No, no. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, they would say you need sort of two two teams to win the, the World Cup, don't you? And New Zealand seem to have about three. And you can sort of sometimes judge a team, judge how good a team is by the team, that, the players they choose to leave behind. And people that can say to people like Israel Dag, who could walk into any other yeah. team in the world, actually, you know, you can cancel your plane ticket <laughs> yeah. uh, for September, is extraordinary. And in Aaron Smith, I think they've got, you know, probably widely recognised as sort of one of the best players in the world. Um, it's, uh, you know, and that spine they've got running through the middle, haven't they? Through Kieran Reid, Aaron Smith, um, you know, through to number McCall 10. The, I mean, it's extraordinary, you know. Nobody's defended a World Cup in rugby. No, they haven't. And they did struggle a bit. I mean, you know, the, the famously, you know, against France, you know, they sort of, you know, that last minute penalty, which, you know, one way well, or the other. Yeah. Home, exa- mm-hmm. you know, it was very, it was much, much closer than I think any Kiwis would have liked. Yeah. What, what, um, yeah, I mean, they've been accused of choking in previous World Cups. They cho- they choked in that World Cup. They did. In they, yeah. but they got away. Yeah. They still won it. It was yeah. a winning choke. Yeah. Very, you very rarely get credited <clears throat> for a choke when you end up winning. I think it'd be easier for them, though, this time yeah. around, because they don't have yeah, that yeah. home pressure. That home pressure, like rugby, is obviously intense mm. in, in New Zealand, and to get away from that, I think will give them a real yeah. boost. And having won it last time, they yeah. don't have that. Very difficult to pick out star players because they have so many. Uh, Brody Retallick, um, what do you make of him? Well, he's got the kind of head that looks like he would happily just bang it against concrete for a solid twenty-four hours as preparation for a game. Uh, clearly, a, a, an outstanding player gives their, their packer, um, you know, sort of tough spine to go with all the skills uh, they've got hopefully if, if they do go deep in the tournament they they maintain their style maybe better than they did in the last World Cup and they yeah, tighten we're, up we're, we're looking for stars um, always looking for star names to emerge from this let's hear from someone who blasted onto the world stage in that 1995 side Jonah Lomu the funny thing about the draw is that 
just because you, you might have an easy run in it, the way it looks, um, it doesn't necessarily help you either. You, know, you, you, want, you want some tough games you know, leading into finals rugby. But also at the same time, that's when you also got to be careful in terms of you, know, you might get injuries. Um, you just got to cross your fingers and hope, hope like hell nothing happens. And then um, you know, prepare yourself as good as possible and, and hopefully finals rugby comes around. You're well prepared and, and ready to rock and roll. But um, you know, looking at a couple of the other teams, yes, I do understand the sense of uh, yeah, okay, the big teams have got to you know be battered and bruised. Who might be the danger at the group stage? Who are you watching out for? Mate, I I think everybody uh, do it every year. They keep forgetting about South Sea Island uh, Island teams like Samoa, like Tonga, uh, Fiji. Those guys they've got an upset in there uh, in the bag. Uh, somewhere along the line someone's going to get knocked over by them and uh, you know you you don't want to be on the receiving end of that you've got to look at Argentina as well a lot of these nations now like the the Tongas the Samoans but also the Argentinians they all play their rugby here in Europe that's where the big five really have to watch out for themselves if you go in half-hearted against these uh, South Sea Islanders you're going to get punished and you're going to get punished heavily so Argentina should have a very good chance of progressing with the All Blacks, do you reckon, Andy? Uh, yes. Um, I've always liked Argentinian rugby. They, they're not the most sort of exciting, but there's a kind of pleasing um, sort of old-school traditionalism to the way they, they play. And in 2007, they were absolutely fantastic. Um, maybe not quite as strong uh, then, but you'd think they should get, get through this group and then... If they're up against the runner, if they're up against any of the teams from Pool D, Ireland, France, maybe even Italy, I think they'd have a, a chance uh, against them. I think they're they're most likely to lose in the quarterfinal. Yeah, it? hard to see them in the quarters from there, but almost certainly will qualify from their pool. Won't they? Tonga, have we? We look for statistics all the time to make people go, "This is rugby." Twenty-three stone player, the tournament's <laughs> heaviest player, Petty Fanuna. Uh, petty, oh petty, oh petty, right? Fanuna, <laughs> you wouldn't, I, I, you wouldn't want to be holding the ball when he charges at you, really, would you? I was looking at some of the pen picks for the players before we came up here, uh, while I was searching for the best beard, and it, I have never felt so inadequate in my life looking at some of these players. They are just huge, beyond belief. So that's Tonga. We've just written them off as big, but that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, Namibia, we've mentioned already um, as being uh, maybe a surprise result if they can pick up any victory, really. They have the record for the most World Cup games without a win. Uh, they lost 142 nil in 2003. They we were think? robbed. That was just a, some dodgy referee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Against um, Ian, what do you reckon? I have a feeling they'll be adding to that stat in this group. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm going, going to Tonga, Namibia in Exeter on my own. I'm going, <laughs> maybe I'm taking this World Cup a bit too seriously. But um, <laughs> How odd that you couldn't get somebody to go to Tonga and <laughs> Namibia with you. <laughs> In fact, no, I just booked one ticket thinking I won't be able to get anyone to go with me. <laughs> yeah, um, that was the last ticket you got. You didn't know. <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, Jacques Berger, the, the Saracens, we talked about Retallick having a head that would bang against mm. concrete. God knows what Berger, he would do anything. Yeah, His head has taken more punishment probably than any other living thing in the history of humanity. And, the, and if you're one of those players, you know, going up against New Zealand, you've got to be slightly concerned, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and a nose that kind of probably would give Mike Tyndall's nose, or, you know, you'd Yes, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how what sort of his breathing's like or whether he suffers uh, from it's his nose is basically a extraordinary, an active crime scene. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Georgia, coached by Milton Haig, the Kiwi, they are improving. Uh, do you think maybe twenty nineteen will be their time? Uh, possibly again, not not my uh, core uh, area of expertise, Georgia, but they they um, they're traditionally very strong in scrums. They gave Ireland a, a tremendously close run in uh, in two thousand and seven. Uh, so yeah, I mean they, I guess they would think they have a chance of getting through this group. Uh, and certainly, um, I mean it's yeah. almost groups within groups within some of these pools, isn't there? And you know they'll, they'll be, they'll, I think for them third would be a, a very creditable yeah. finish, wouldn't it? Yeah. So that's Pool C. We'll return to discuss the final Pool D. France, Canada, Italy, Ireland, and Romania then make up Pool D. Ian, let's begin by looking at the boys in green yeah I'm so worried about this there's been so many comparisons with the 2007 team when you had this golden generation of, of Irish rugby players who went in fairly high in the world rankings 
uh, as they are now. I know they've dropped a bit after the last few defeats, but they were they were second a few weeks ago, and it failed miserably in two thousand and seven. They just about beat Georgia. They just about beat Namibia, and then they lost to France and Argentina. The key thing, though, that has changed since then is that Joe Schmidt has come in and taken over. And for a long time, Ireland could possibly quite rightly be accused of mental weakness. And Schmidt has just taken him to another level in that regard. Uh, Fergus McFadden, like, and, the, and what, he expects for, what he expects from the side. Fergus McFadden tells a story of when he was playing under Schmidt that if you won the Euro Millions... Schmidt would ask you why didn't you get the bonus ball as well that's the sort of thing that you, that he expects from the players and he's really instilled that 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 mental toughness which has helped them win these um back-to-back six nations title I think he's also brought in um the Irish defense is much much better over those last two six nations they've had they haven't scored as many tries as anybody else but they have had the best defense and funny enough is, it's the it's the variety among the backs that it kind of you know is the, is the thing he needs to instill now isn't it you know, yeah so. yeah absolutely yeah. the warm-ups um, looked a touch muddled though yeah I wouldn't worry so much about that I think that they, they were they were a bit muddled but I think um listening to what Schmidt and some of the other Irish players uh, are saying is that they um, they're preparing like they're preparing so that they improve as as the World Cup goes on um, I think the two the two gave the first two games that they play I think it's just about getting getting the points on the board and getting the wins and then they should be really well warmed up when um, Italy and then the big one comes against France because that's going to be winning that game is going to be one of the most crucial in in the history of Irish rugby because if they win it they get they get Argentina in the quarterfinals they've never they've never got outside of the quarterfinals in the World Cup they get I I think they'd have enough to get past get past them um, Argentina and then possibly England in the semi-finals so I mean do you think it is an advantage then in, in that the first match is Canada yeah I mean I think it's as we were saying earlier it's a question of whether you kind of ease your way in or whether you're better off going Going in hard from the start in a, in a pool like pool A. I mean, I think through choice, almost every coach of the tournament would would pick a path like Ireland's, where you manage to you're able to sort of ramp up your performance and kind of go into the knockout stages, hopefully having built some momentum. I mean, I, I think in some ways those kind of slight missteps in the warm up matches might have helped in a sense in that they kind of you know the, the sense of expectation in Ireland was becoming so huge off the back of those back to back Six Nations wins that it might just have tempered some of that and and, and made the players realise as well that you know there's this. There's this long tournament, and they're going to have to. There's a long way to go. I think the one thing that does worry me, though, is that he's picked quite a few utility backs. I mean, we only really have one specialised fullback in Carney. I know Earls and Zebo can play there, but and then at um, scrum half as well, he's just gone for two rather than three players, and then he's expecting um, Ian Madigan to fit in there, but. It's a very specialised position, scrum half, and it's not just about getting the ball and throwing it fast. It's a lot about controlling tempo and everything else that goes into it. So that that, that makes me a little bit nervous as well. Yeah, we sense the trepidation. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying not to be too optimistic, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk France. They're always an enigma at these sort of competitions, aren't they? Big, strong, they've been quite impressive in the warm-ups, oh, in France, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you say they're an enigma. Actually, they've probably overachieved in in previous World Cups, in a sense. And uh, again, there's a there is a sense in which they do seem to to get it together in whatever fashion when it comes to the to the big tournament. But I mean, this time round, you just sense that this French side is not quite the equal of, of what's gone before. And I think the sort of quarterfinals might be the by the limit of their ambition this time round. But they've proved people wrong before, and they might well prove me wrong again. You know. They don't score many tries. Nine in the entire Six Nations campaign. Do you think that's an issue, Martin? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this World Cup is, is with, especially with all these sort of new entries in the South, I think it's going to be, a, a, I'm hoping, but also believe that it's going to be a tournament of tries and it's going to be tries that is going to, I mean, that's such a ludicrous cliche, but <laughs> I do think it's not, I think there's going to be, and I hope there's going to be far less kicking and far more running. And, and if France can't do that, that will be a problem for them. Such is the antithesis of the uh, traditional romantic image of the French, isn't it? They, you're right, though. That you know they've been much more attritional uh, over recent Six Nations campaigns. And it's it's kind of it's quite depressing as a rugby fan to see the way France have played in recent. It's like seeing the West Indies being really boring at cricket. You know, it's uh, you know that that's what you want from France. I guess you know one of the enduring 
fascinations of any rugby world cup is seeing how you know, how the minnows do and you know we talk about tonga uruguay France on their recent Six Nations performances might even fit into that. Yeah, kind of, but you kind of feel sorry for Wesley Fofana, who's one of the jewels of world rugby. And when you see him playing for France, he seems to have that look in his eye saying, I wish I was playing 20 years ago. It would have been so much more fun. Italy have never got out of the pool before. Um, Ian, can they this time? No. OK, that's France, easy. France and Ireland are going to be... <laughs> Ireland are going to get out. It's whether it's first and second. And I think France uh, too. I, I know there's there's problems with Michelac and they haven't won... I think I don't think they've ever won more than three games in a row under Saint-André since he took over from Livermore. Uh, but I still think, even though they're a mid-table Six Nations side, they'll still have too much for... OK, so if, for we're, if we're on rapid fire, then Canada lost all four games in the Pacific Nations Cup. Are they going to be worse than Namibia, Ian? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be worse than Namibia. Rel- worse is a relative term, isn't it? Um, <laughs> they, they won't win anything, for, I, I guess. And Romania, coached by Welshman Lynn Howells, um, one of the teams we class as emerging. Um, Andy, what do you think? Well, I guess re-emerging uh, after a pretty prolonged um, downturn. They were quite strong in the 80s. I think they beat Wales, didn't they, in the, uh, uh, in the 80s at one point. And um, uh, with a... <laughs> The collapse of communism might have generally benefited humanity, but it didn't really help Romanian rugby. <laughs> so yin and yang. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I guess the yeah, the the, uh, the Romania Canada game is going to be very competitively fought. So, I mean, Canada against Fiji. I think it was not their full strength team, and they were very physical, pretty direct. Had some uh, um, you know, some good moves in the backs. They you know, they didn't look awful. Um, so yeah, they. I think they fancied their chances even against Italy. So that's the four pools done and dusted. Moving on with some final thoughts. What are you all most looking forward to? It's the thing getting started. You know, kind of there has been this uh, huge preamble. I mean, a few people have been saying to me in the last few days, "Oh, there's not much buzz about it. I'm not seeing much around London." But you have to remember that before the before the Olympics, you know, at this point, everyone was worrying about the fact there was no security guards, the the venues were sinking into the mud, and there was doom and gloom around that. And I think once it gets going, everyone will get on board. So I'm just looking for, looking forward to that to that first match really, and getting some getting some points on the board and getting some rugby played. Ian, what do you think is going to be the biggest surprise? Um, I think it's going to be Samoa. I think they're going to be a bit of a surprise package. I'm looking forward to seeing them play. I don't think people are giving them much hope of getting out of that group. I think people think Scotland might be stronger, but I think it's going to be Samoa. And the biggest um, flops, Andy? Well, other than the, the draw, which has been a bit <laughs> of a flop uh, in itself, uh, I, yeah, I just hope it's not the, the scrums, um, which are, have generally been a bit of a blight on rugby as a as an aesthetic spectacle for quite a long time and um, just I hope they work and I'm, I'm op- optimistic for the, the quality of this, this tournament I think we've seen uh, I mean that, that last day of the Six Nations seemed to sort of unlock the when teams had no choice but to attack they couldn't realise what they could do we've had some classic uh, a couple of games in New Zealand and South Africa in the last two years have been absolute classics of open expansive rugby um so yeah i hope the weather stays good and uh, we don't get the kind of drab nine sixes that uh, the england scotland semi-final in 91 is one of the worst sporting events in the history of humanity okay I'm, I'm gonna i have to ask you all to put your neck on the line i know it's um, a difficult one to call and this is a terrible hostage to fortune uh, for <laughs> later on but but i'm going to ask you to pick your winner uh, at this stage, which is really mean, Owen. I'm going to go for New Zealand, which is the safe choice in many ways. I mean, uh, the heart says England, but the head says New Zealand, I think. Ian? I can't see past New Zealand. Oh, we're getting some agreement here. Martin? I feel I should just say something else because we can't all say New Zealand. <laughs> so I'm going to go for Ireland. Not I don't know why Ian hasn't said Ireland, but I'm going to plump for Ireland. And Andy? Uh, well, I think New Zealand will win, but uh, yeah, we've already had two. So, um, well, Namibia, if they get on an early roll, who knows? <laughs> I think South Africa. Although they've not been that impressive this year, I think they could. Um, I'd love England to win. I've been, you know, as you said, I'm a Quinns fan. I've been watching Rob Shaw and Brown and, and Marla since they were teenagers, and uh, it's uh, been great, sort of following their story and, and and seeing the development of this England team. And I hope they they play with uh, with freedom and um, and have a good tournament. Well, that's all for this first episode of our Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. We'll be back on Monday to round up the early pool matches and then every Monday throughout the tournament. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or keep up with us at acast.com slash rugbyworldcup. 
You can check out all The Guardian's previews and coverage of the tournament at theguardian.com sport. I'm Sandy Waugh. Our producer is Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. Listener.